This evening we are in session number 10 in our series of studies, Living Life Backwards, and we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. Chapter 10 of Ecclesiastes introduces us to the foolish person, and like dumb sheep, each one of us is susceptible to make foolish choices that can destroy a good reputation. But being careless about our choices in this life shows us that we are not really prepared for the next, or shows us that we are not really living lives in the light of eternity. A fool in the Bible is not necessarily someone who has a below average intelligence. Okay? It is not a question of somebody who has less intelligence, but rather, the scriptures, whenever it speaks about a fool, it speaks about someone who lacks the proper fear of God, and as a result is prone to go in the wrong directions in life. Proverbs, uh, Psalm 14 and verse 1 tells us, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do wild deeds, there is no one who does good. So that's the biblical definition of a fool. One who says that there is no God, or one who lives his life as if there is no God. Okay. Now, as believers, we acknowledge that there is a God, but if you are living lives you know, as if you know, there is no God, if you are living lives not in the light of eternity, but in the light of the present, then we would definitely come under the classification of a fool. Okay, so this chapter is giving us information about who is a fool, what are the characteristics of a fool, and how can we make sure that we don't be foolish, but we would be wise. So first of all, three general outward characteristics of the fool is mentioned in the first few verses. But remember, the chapter divisions came much, much later. So I, every time we read the scriptures, we must know not just start off with that verse that starts the chapter. You must see the continuity in the previous chapter to this chapter, because it is not in a separate, but it is all one together. So if you read chapter 9 and the last two verse, it says, Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. And then he introduces again, what is this one sinner all about? You know, how can one person make such a bad impact in the lives of not only himself or herself, but also in the lives of others? So he starts off now with the link between chapter 9 and chapter uh, 10, the impact of one fool, one foolish you know, statement, one foolish you know, word or event that has taken place, the dangers of that. So, a couple of you know, general characteristics he gives us in the first few verses. The first one is that a fool's reputation stinks. And in verse 1, he says, Dead flies make a perfumer's oil fervent and stick, stink. So, a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. So, he starts off by highlighting the immense power of folly. And the illustration that he gives about a dead fly in a perfume. Now, you know, for us it may be a little different because we speak about perfumes in closed bottles. But here he's speaking about you know, uh, a, a perfumer who is making this perfume, which is out in the open. And if these flies, you know, which were rampant in that area, comes and lands on the surface of this perfumed oil and gets entangled in it and dies, then these dead flies will spoil the oil. Literally, this reads as it makes stink or it makes bubble up or it causes stench to pour forth. So, what Solomon is writing here is when someone opens a bottle of perfumed oil, instead of perfume coming out, what will come out is stink. Okay, that is what he is speaking of over here. So, if you notice in the scriptures, this uh, now the scriptures give us uh, instructions, you know, in the temple of how 
the oils had to be made. Okay, if you notice in uh, Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 to 25, you know, the Lord speaks to Moses and gives him instructions of the ingredients of this oil. And it was also specifically said that this ingredients and this <laughs> recipe for this perfumed oil should not be used anywhere else. Okay, so this is not the <clears throat> recipe for the uh, perfumed oil that is spoken of, but the general perfumes that are made with all these precious elements that are put together. But if in the process of making that perfumed oil, if the lid is left open and flies get entrapped in this uh, sticky solution, their rotting carcasses will lead to a total and complete undoing of the essential nature of that oil. So that's what he's speaking about here. And, uh, he's speaking about you know, some things that can happen if we are not really careful. Now the term folly captures those words and deeds which are shown to be an individual who is acting stupidly, absurdly, or inconsistently. Okay. Now, so this act of folly okay, is used you know, seven times in the Bible, this word, and it is used, all of them, in the book of Ecclesiastes. So, what the preacher is saying over here is that man can do something stupid, absurd, or inconsistent without becoming a sinner. That word folly, which he has used in the previous verses, in, uh, in chapter 2, for example, where he says, in uh, verse chapter 2 and verse 3, I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly that till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of our lives. Same word that is used for folly. Okay, something stupid that a person does. But folly also has a moral component, okay, where when a person who acts stupidly and inconsistently, if he continues in that direction, it would lead to sin, okay. Because if you notice again in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 25, he says, I applied my heart to know, to search, to seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly to know the wickedness of folly. So a little bit of stupidity can severely damage the credibility of someone who has a reputation for wisdom. But far worse is that little bit of wickedness can cause a man to succumb to sin. And that is what a foolish person does. Just a little, just something that is spoken maybe, something that is done causes another person to succumb to sin. But there's the exact opposite of the reputation of a wise person, which the preacher mentioned in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 1. Again, speaking about perfume, he says, A good name is far better than fine perfume, and the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. So unlike the Earlier comparison between a perfume that you know, is fragrant, now he's speaking about the foolish man's you know, perfume you know, is definitely going to stink. In other words, his reputation would stink. Now, it doesn't take time, remember, to ruin the reputation of a fool. Why? Because you know, he's already stinking. Okay? The fool's small mistake makes the smell of his folly greater than the fragrance of wisdom. Or like you know, somebody will put it across to say an ounce of folly can destroy a ton of wisdom. It takes far less to ruin something than to create it, isn't it? It's far easier to break down than to build. And wisdom that is acquired at a great expense, like a perfume which is costly, you know, if stupidity comes in and breaks that, it is definitely going to stink. So, the preacher is saying, be God, be on guard against folly. A single unthinking word can destroy a relationship. One moment of unbridled lust can destroy a marriage. One careless post on social media can ruin a career. 
that is why you have to be careful that you are wise and not foolish. Now, realizing the same truth, be careful of toying with folly in the lives of others as well. One spiteful half-truth or unsubstantiated rumor uttered about someone else can destroy their life. And this is why we need to be very careful with our words, isn't it? You know? Just as the ointment must be tightly closed in order to protect it from destruction, so we must take guard that our reputation is guarded very, very clear, you know, tightly. And especially also the reputation of others, let's be careful that we don't destroy their reputation. Just one word, one post can mar their reputation for life. And once it has come out of our lips, you know, once it has been posted online and it has been spread across, to get it back becomes very, very difficult. So, a fool's life stinks. Now, there's no perfume, there's no fragrance. It is only destruction. Okay? That's the first general characteristic. The second general characteristic he speaks about is that the fool's worldview, it's itself wrong. Okay? His thinking pattern now, of what is right and wrong is equally wrong. The starting point itself is wrong. So what can you expect from him? Verse 2 tells us a wise person's heart goes to the right, but a fool's heart goes to the left. Okay? So here Solomon is highlighting folly's deceptiveness, which is even more deadlier. Because wisdom and folly are on diametrically opposite paths. Okay? Jesus mentioned, isn't it, and if the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? If a person thinks he's in the light, when he's actually in the dark, you know, how foolish, how dark is that? That is what the preacher is speaking of over here. Because wisdom and folly are not traveling in the same path, you know, but it is totally opposite. You know. Now, when he's speaking about left and right over there, you know, remember, this is not speaking against, you know, the left-handed person. Many times in the scripture, the right and left sides are set forth as positions of honor and dishonor. Remember in Genesis 48, Joseph was displeased with his father Israel because he placed his right and left hands on the heads of the wrong children. And Jesus also warned in Matthew 25 that at the end of the age, the sheep will be placed on the right to be rewarded and the goats will be placed on the left to be cursed. Also, when Peter preached his first gospel message in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, he said that Jesus was seated at the right hand of God, exalted. So, in the scriptures, when it's speaking about right and left, it's speaking primarily, the right hand is speaking about what that which is right, and the left hand is speaking about that which is wrong, okay? So, the proverb simply stated would be that a wise man keeps his heart, okay? He keeps his heart in the right direction. He keeps knowing that his you know, heart has to be prized and preserved, you know, the right has to be preserved. He makes sure that he places importance on those things that are right, cares for it, guards for it, makes sure that he does not, you know, you know, allow it to be complacent and go in any direction whatsoever. The wise person guards his heart so that he goes in the right direction, whereas a fool doesn't really bother. Whichever way it will go, let me go. Okay, That is the implication about this right and left. So the question this evening would be, what direction are you going in life? Are you going towards temptation? or away from evil? Are, we, are you moving in the right way to discipleship or falling away spiritually? Are you drawing closer to God or following a sinful world? It all starts with the heart. It all starts with the heart. The, man, the foolish man goes in the wrong direction because his heart is there, whereas the wise man goes in the right direction because he leans in that way. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 14, you know, we read, the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Now, many people want to go and want to know which direction should I go in life. They are looking for direction. 
But the place to start, before you know which direction, your heart should be in the right place, in the right direction. If your heart is in the right place, then you'll end up in the right direction as well. It's like if you're taking a, in a, a train in a, or a flight or whatever mode of transportation, you know, if you're getting into that vehicle, getting into that mode of direct, you know, transportation, which is going in that direction, then you will reach that. If you're taking a flight, you know, which is going somewhere else and you say, I want to go into this direction, it's not going to go. So that is what the focus here is. Your heart must be in that right direction, the right direction to do that things which please God. If a heart is there, then you'd keep going in that direction. But if your heart is not there, that's the heart of a fool, he doesn't bother and he keeps going in the wrong direction, not even knowing it. This is where the third part of it comes in, in verse 3. Even when a fool walks along the road, his heart lacks sense. Again, remember speaking about his heart. You know, his heart is not in the right place. And he shows everyone he is a fool. A fool's action reveals you know, <laughs> foolishness. Okay? So Solomon is saying that you know, here's a person who is a fool and he doesn't even know he is a fool. He is so blind to his folly that he thinks everybody is a fool and he is a wise man. Have you met people like that? Individuals who think they know everything, you know. That's the height of foolishness. That's what, you know, Solomon is speaking about here. People who reject God's authority and pursue their own way of life think that they know it all, that they are the ones who are the final authority in all that really matters. This is self-deception, okay? To believe yourself to be right Nobody dare tell me otherwise. That is what a fool is all about. So that's why in verse 3, he says, even when a fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. He cannot hide his folly. Okay, He cannot hide his folly. As soon as he starts speaking, looking at his lifestyle, people will definitely say, hey, this, doesn't, this person you know, doesn't know his direction, doesn't know what is really important in life. He's just talking through his hat. You know? The world is full of such fools. And you and I need to be careful that we don't have any relationships with them. We don't hang around them. You know, Yes, we need to love them and pray for them and help them. But make sure that we don't be in their company for long periods. Because what will happen? Your mind can also become like them. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 7 tells us, stay away from a fool. Stay away from a fool. Okay. So this is what the caution is over here. If you notice, you know, Jesus spoke about another you know, parable of counting the cost in Luke's gospel chapter 14, 28 to 30. Before you build something, first you decide, you know, how much it's going to cost. And I'm sure when you look at, you know, unfinished buildings in the cities today, that is the immediate thought will come into your mind, isn't it? Here's a guy who started constructions, but he didn't even know how long it's going to take, how much amount it's going to take, and he didn't have the money he had to stop it. That is what Solomon is speaking about here. Everybody knows you know, that this guy was a fool. He's talked about it, said so many things, and you know, this will happen, that will happen. But finally, nothing really happened. A fool cannot conceal himself, okay? He cannot conceal his foolishness. You know? And in the later verses, you know, we would read of how as soon as he opens his mouth itself, everybody would know that he is a fool. But remember, people try to correct such people. But what do fools do? They refuse to listen. They refuse to listen. You know? Now we must ask ourselves, even this evening, do we have any traits of a fool in our lives? That when people try and correct us that we are wrong, we say, no, no, I know everything. Be careful. That is a foolish attitude. That's a fool's heart. The wise heart is open for correction, open for learning, open to make sure that you're in the right direction all along. Then he moves into giving us three specific categories of fools. Three specific categories. The first category is foolish rulers. Foolish rulers. In verse 4, he says, if a ruler's temper rises against you, do not abandon your position because composure 
allays great offenses. The term ruler that is used here is much broader than that of a king. It actually describes one who has dominion or the right to reign over others. So the first category is uh, of people who are in authority, but people who are foolish. How should you respond to them? You know, do we have foolish people in authority? Yes. Now, how does our response to them? Do we just say, run away from them? I don't want to have anything to do with them. You know, how should you respond? This is what these verses are saying. So, this is the term that is used here, the term for ruler is the term that is used when God tells the husband that he will rule over his wife or of Abraham's steward who ruled over all that he had or of Joseph's reign over all Egypt. So, this is a broad usage of this word ruler, not just in the political world, in a, not as kings, but in any rulership in authority. So, it could be the master over the slave, the boss over an employee, the teacher over a student, the policeman over a driver, the judge over a defendant, the parent over a child or a husband over his wife, any person who is put in authority. Okay. So, here he says now, be careful. What should you do if a te ruler temporizes against you? Here's a foolish you know, ruler who has lost his head. What should you do? Do not abandon your position because composure allays great offenses. Now, there are different words that are used in different translations. Some translations will say, for conciliation pacifies great offenses. Okay. Now, in some other translations, it would be gentleness, you know. In some other translations, composure. In NIV, it says calmness, okay. Now, it comes, all this comes from that word which is basically used of you know, uh, diseases being cured or healing that comes, okay. So, this is the word that is used over here. So, what he's saying over here is when a ruler, you know, loses his you know, head, gets angry because he's an authority, he makes some foolish statements, does some foolish things. What is their response? Be calm, be calm. Don't run away from that position, you know, but be calm so that healing would come, so that healing would come. Running off when mistreated will not lead to a healing, but remaining and seeking to heal it will definitely bring about healing. So this is like a, a word picture. When the ruler rises, what do you do? You don't rise along with him and you don't give it back to him, you know. But you sit, you bring about healing. If you notice in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verses 39 to 41, Jesus said, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. This is the attitude of a wise individual. So in this verse, Solomon is highlighting three negative results of folly. First of all, folly results in impetuous behavior. The fool gives no space for the anger of the rule to subside so that a reasonable conversation can be entered into. The fool is so persuaded that he is right that he must immediately defend himself. In a, and in the end, what happens? It makes the situation even worse. Have you been in a situation like that, where you have acted like a fool just because someone in authority said something to you? So he said, no, I will show him. And you rose up, you know, instead of sitting and bringing about healing. And what happened? It only aggravated the situation even more, isn't it? You <laughs> know, Derek Kedna in his commentary says, it may feel magnificent to resign your post ostensibly on principle, but actually in a fit of pride. It is in fact less impressive and more immature than it feels. Sometimes people do that, isn't it? In a fit of rage, they said, oh, that guy said this, I tendered my resignation. And after you walked out, you know, then they say, hey, why did you do that? Why did I do that? No, no. The scripture is saying, over here, keep your cool, be composed, okay? Do not abandon your position. Remember, difficult people are everywhere. There are people who are difficult to get along in those who are in authority. You can't escape them, you know. 
If you say, okay, I'm not going to work in this place because this guy is a bad boss, you go somewhere else, you get a worse person, okay? So remember, there will always be such type of individuals, individuals who are hard to work and live with. They may be in your family, they may be in your work, they may be in your place where you're studying or in your neighborhood or even at church. It's easy to get angry and frustrated with them. But what do we do? Instead of when I'm praying, Lord, get me out of this mess, we should rather pray, Lord, what do you want me to get out of this mess? If that's our attitude, you want to bring about healing, that you're a wise person. But if you're only going to aggravate the situation by you also raising your head and walking out, that shows you are a fool. It was Rudyard Kipling, Rudyard Kipling who said, if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, you'll be a man, my son. That is wisdom. If you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, if you are calm, that is what wisdom is all about. <laughs> now, now, we are living in a world which is so much you know, of tension all around us, isn't it? You know? When somebody says something, the other guy has to retort immediately. You know, why? Because people are living in tension. But wisdom seeks to calmly diffuse the heightened emotions before answering. Don't jump in right away and add to the tension. Give space for tempers to cool before addressing it. Secondly, folly results in an upside-down society. In an upside-down society. In verses 5 to 7, he says, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich, set in a, rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. So what he's saying over here, there's a reversal. Folly reverses the entire course of life. It results in a world that makes no sense. And this is often what you find in politics. Political realities are often tangled. No one knows when one official will fall from favor and another, a very different individual, will rise in power. And that's what happens all the time, isn't it? One group who's in power, they think they are the boss, then suddenly everything collapses. That group is taken off. And we see this all over the world, all over the world, it is happening. We are living in a world that seems to be so much of a topsy-turvy. And when a person who is in a position of great authority makes a wrong decision, it leads to much greater and more severe consequences than for anyone else. Okay, So the greater the ruler or the higher the authority, you know, or the number of people who are under you, the greater the evil is brought about when you make a mistake. So he says, be careful, <laughs> be careful. That could be folly that can reverse it every totally. The wise can be down and the folly can be up. And in life, this role reversal frequently occurs. I wonder if you're familiar with this Peter principle. Peter Principle is a concept in a management developed by a person called Lawrence J. Peter, which observes that people in a hierarchy tend to rise to a level of respective incompetence. Okay? Employees are promoted based on their success in previous jobs until they reach a level at which they are no longer competent as skills in one job do not necessarily translate to another. This is what the Peter Principle is all about. Someone eventually gets promoted to one level higher than their level of competence. And I'm sure if you've been working in any <laughs> company, corporate, you'd have recognized this. Yes, there are promotions, good. But sometimes a person is promoted to that level for which he doesn't have the skills at all. But just by virtue of being in that in a hierarchy, he gets to that post, but he has no skills whatsoever. He is not competent for that task. Whereas those who are working hard, who have their abilities, you know, maybe because they are not senior, maybe for whatever reason, you know, they are not in that position. And that is the topsy-turvy world that we are living in. That's what Solomon is speaking over here. The fools are on horses, whereas the wise are <laughs> walking. You know. Now, you may work for a fool, you may live with a fool, and too often we are governed by fools as well. So how are we to 
respond in a way that glorifies God. What did Jesus do? In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23, it says, When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. It is easy to say, I'll put in my papers. It is easy to say, I'll quit. That's the easy way out. But you and I need to be individuals who are bringing about healing, enduring suffering, going through that with a desire to bring about healing. That is the wise person. Thirdly, folly results in a dangerous environment, in a dangerous environment. In the next couple of verses, he brings about different practical illustrations. If you are not careful of the destructive power of folly and not careful to avoid its pitfalls, we are placing ourselves in a very dangerous position. You can't simply go through life heedless of the dangers you face. Remember, we are living in a world that is opposed to the truth of God. We must be aware of the dangers we face. But we also realize that we are heading into the world that is opposed to gospel truth. So we must prepare ourselves you know, to face it you know, so that we are not injured by it. That is what wisdom is all about. The second category speaks now about foolish workers. Foolish workers. Here he lists four kinds of workers, you know, construction workers, stone quarry workers, you know, uh, lumberjacks, people who fell trees and you know, transport them to a sawmill, or snake charmers. They are all put together in the category of foolish workers, foolish workers. First of all, he speaks about he who digs a pit may fall into it. Now, this is an individual who is <coughs> making a pit to trap animals. Okay? <clears throat> if the hunter didn't pay careful attention to where he had dug those pits, he could easily fall into one himself and get hurt or die. So that's the first category he's speaking of. An individual who's making pits to trap animals. If he's not careful, he himself will be trapped by it. Secondly, he's speaking about construction workers, where he speaks about breaking through a wall. A serpent may bite him who breaks through a wall. Now, this is the wall around the city or the wall around a home. It is more like a fence. Now, these walls were made out of stone, which will have many cracks and crevices, which sooner or later will become the home to various serpents. So when a man makes it his business to disturb stones, which have been long laid in a certain way, it is certain that sooner or later he will find a serpent under one of them. So if he is not aware of this and moves the rocks not carefully, what will happen? He will definitely get bit by a serpent. So in a place where there is a lot of snakes, only a fool will move rocks around recklessly and without caution. So a wise person takes care of foolish is not bothered. Third category of you know, workers is the ones who gather stones or the stone quarry workers. Okay? He who quarries stones may be hurt by them. Now this refers to people who pull up rocks in order to move them elsewhere. Now, this is the job of moving rocks from one place to the other. Now remember these uh, rocks or stones in the walls of cities were around 6 to 12 feet thick. 15 to 30 feet long and 4 to 8 feet high. So, those who are going to move such big <laughs> rocks you know, have to be very, very careful. If they don't use wisdom, it can fall on them, they can be hurt by them, they can even die by it. Fourthly, he speaks about those who are splitting logs. He who splits logs must be and may be endangered by them. Now, Cutting rocks, dangerous. Cutting wood also, you know, dangerous because when you swing the axe, you know, either it can bring a chunk of wood flying into, you know, somebody's body and it can pierce them and, you know, it can strike their face or they can get hurt, you know, or the head of the axe itself can fly off, you know, and can come crashing and hurt or kill somebody else. So these are dangers that must be avoided, dangers that must be avoided. So, using this workers category and saying, hey, 
be careful when you are working. Wisdom shows your care in analyzing your job, taking care that people are not hurt. Okay, so take your time when you are doing your job. Think things through. Be cautious and systematic in fulfilling them. Okay, if you are not, then you are going to hurt others. Michael Leboff wrote a book entitled Working Smart. Okay. And in this book, he demonstrated that the key to better production isn't longer hours, but more effective ones. Not longer hours, but more effective ones. And that is what you know, Solomon is writing over here. What is the antidote to foolish workers? What's the antidote to a person who is foolish in their work and environment? Two things that he mentions over there in those verses. You know. The first one in verse 10, for example, he says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. The first you know, antidote is saying, a caution on acting too hastily. It is foolish to rush into something without pr properly preparing. You know. Take however long you need to sharpen the axe before beginning to cut the wood because a blunt blade will only lead to frustration and ineffectiveness. If a person says, hey, I don't have time you know, to you know, sharpen my blade, I will do it quickly, it's going to take a longer time. Now, you can take a longer time to sharpen the blade, but that will help the job to be done faster. So, that's the first antidote he is saying. Okay, don't act too hastily. Prepare yourself so that the product that comes out will definitely be good. Secondly, he says, use the information gleaned and gained by wisdom quickly. If the first one is take your time, the second one is, hey, don't take too much time. You know, thinking about it, do it. That's the emphasis. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. Remember, snakes have no external ears. So they pick up sound waves primarily through the bone structure of the head. And more than the music played by the charmer, it is the man's disciplined actions of swaying and staring that hold the snake's attention and keep the serpent under control. So it's an art. Okay? So if the snake charmer is you know, rushed and starts handling the snake before it is charmed, it'll get, he will get bit and die. But also he's saying, you know, don't, you know, take your own time, you know, be careful because if the snake is already charmed, you know, you, know, you are going to be in trouble as well. So don't rush into things, but don't wait too long, you know, doing nothing. So folly is displayed both in rushing into things without proper preparation and by inaction due to a lack of preparation, both by rushing into things without a proper preparation and also inaction due to a lack of any preparation, okay? There was a Russian poet who put it across this way, at times it is folly to hasten, at other times to delay. The wise do everything in its proper time. That is a time and a season. That is what wisdom is all about. Now, in the digital world that we live in, we have so much exposure to the truth, but we also have so much exposure to junk. The question we must ask ourselves is, if you are going to be wise, if you are going to be prepared for this age, what are you filling your mind with? What are you filling your mind with? Are you filling your mind with scripture? Are you filling your mind with preaching and podcasts that fill our minds with truth? Or are you, you know, watching truth-promoting content? You know, can see all the good things that are available. But if you are not spending enough time preparing yourselves, exposing yourself to God's truth, what will happen? Similar to the snake that is in the wall, which will bite you. Or the snake, you know, that is not yet charmed and you're trying to hold it, it's going to bite you. What will happen? You would fall into your own pit. You will not be able to discern truth for, er, from error. And before you know it, you would have fallen into your own pit. You would have been bitten by that snake hiding in the wall. You would have been hurt by the very stones you are quarrying and the very logs you are splitting. So he says, be careful. Be on guard. Be aware. Be aware.
Wisdom means planning and preparing ahead, being proactive and not reactive. Some people do this when it comes to living, but very few do it when it comes to life. If they're really prepared, they'd study a marriage before they get married, isn't it? A lot of people just get married just like that, you know, no preparations beforehand. You know? But if you have not been prepared for marriage, if you have not discussed with your you know, to-be spouse, if you have not got guidance you know, from elders, you are not prepared for marriage, then when problems come into your life, what will you do? You will just quit. You'll just want to walk away. You're not looking for healing. You're not working for working together that relationship. That is so very important, isn't it? Wise people prepare. They have a plan. And that is what you know, smart people do. The question would be, when we start the day, do we start with wisdom or do we start with foolishness? Do we rush into life or do we prepare ourselves with our time with the Lord, time with His Word, allowing Him to speak to our hearts so that He can guide us during the day? Wise people prepare, they don't rush. That's the emphasis in this particular verse. Thirdly, we have the foolish talkers. We have the foolish talkers. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool will swallow him up. So Solomon is now moving from foolish workers to foolish talkers. Talk is the test of wisdom, isn't it? Now, when a person opens his mouth, what comes out of his mouth shows what is really in his heart. Verse 12 says, the words of a wise man's mouth will win him favor. The word favor is the Hebrew word for grace. It is gracious words that will come out of a wise man's mouth. Words that will build another person not to break down that person. But the words of a fool's mouth begins with foolishness, begins with foolishness. As soon as he opens his mouth itself, you know, you know, he doesn't know what he's speaking about. The people who are listening don't have a clue of what he is speaking about as well. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 22, it says, professing to be wise, they became fools professing to be wise, they became fools. A lot of people are there, isn't it? You know, who think, you know, who speak without thinking. They are speaking words, but they don't know what they have said. And the people who are hearing are wondering, what is this guy saying? That is what a fool is all about. The fool is full of words without realizing that he says nothing. The more he talks, the crazier it becomes, you know. You may say, I wish he would stop talking, but you have to listen to him. You know? It was Shalom, it was a Jewish writer, Shalom Aleichem, who said, you can tell when a fool speaks, he grinds much and produces little. Grinds much and produces little. That's a graphic picture of a person who is talking nonsense. Talking words that doesn't make you know, mean anything whatsoever. But he thinks they are wise words, you know. Those are foolish words. Thirdly, the words of a fool are arrogant and presumptuous. Though no man knows what is to be and who can tell what will be after him. Foolish people talk about the future as if they either know all about it or in control about what will happen. We heard people discussing politics or discussing world events and saying, oh, this is what's going to happen. That's what's going to happen. As if they were the ones who were in charge of doing all that. Now, that is foolish to talk about the future events as if you know everything. No, no, no. The scripture tells us in Proverbs 27 and verse 1, do not boast about tomorrow for you do not know what a day will bring. Wise individuals give God the credit to say that he is the one who is in control. They are not the one who is in control. So I want to give, you know, my understanding of the future, not make any you know, judgments or conclusions thinking I know everything, but place my future, place the future of the world, place the events that are happening in the world into the Lord's hands because he is the one who knows everything whatsoever. Paul Tripp, you know, in his book, The War of Words, gives a practical guide to know the difference between wise and foolish speech. And he writes and says, listen to the talk that goes on in your home. Okay? 
to find out what are the words that are wise that we are using, what are the words that are foolish we are using. How much of it is impatient and unkind? How often are words spoken out of selfishness and personal desire? How easily do outbursts of anger occur? How often do we bring up past wrongs? How do we fail to communicate hope? How do we fail to protect? How often do our words carry threats that we have had it and we are about to quit? Stop and listen and you will see how much we need to hold our talk to this standard of love and how often the truth we profess to speak has been distorted by our sin. Simple questions. Ask yourself. The talk that goes on in our home, in our relationships, in our, with our spouse, with our children, with you know, people whom we are working with, you know, what's the communication that we are giving? What are we showing by the words that we speak? Are we showing wisdom? Are we showing foolishness? The fourth one, a fool, is stupid. The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Now, that's just a diplomatic way of putting across that he is stupid. Now, getting lost on a country road was one thing. But in a city which has roads which are well marked, you know, if he's not able to even follow directions, you know, he's a fool. Or today with the GPS around, with the directions that you have, still if you don't reach the right spot, you know, you know, in spite of having all the directions, all the maps with you, he says, hey, something is wrong somewhere. Derek Kedna, you know, in his commentary, explains the fool in this words, you know, for this verse. He says, you know, they would get lost, you know. We might say today, even if you put him on an escalator, how foolish, you know. You put him on an escalator, he still gets lost. That's only one going in one direction, but he still gets lost. That's how foolish it would be. That's the explanation of that verse which says he does not know the way to the city. Now, remember again, you know, he doesn't mean that he is a fool, but he, because he's intellectually defective, okay? They may have high degrees and all that. Folly has nothing to do with IQ, but it has everything to do with stupidity. It has everything to do with stupidity. Wise individuals, on the other hand, are sensible, are sensible. So now he moves from general categories to specific characteristics you know, of a fool. Four characteristics of fools he mentions in verses 16 to 20, okay? What makes the fool's action foolish? First one, a fool is indulgent. A fool is indulgent. Verse 16 and 17 says, What do you land when your king is a youth and your princes feast in the morning? Blessed are you land when your king is a son of nobles and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. The message translation puts it across this way. Unlucky the land whose king is a young pup and whose princes party all night. What he's saying over here is, you know, a fool, he may be a young person, he may be an older person, but he behaves in an immature manner. His lifestyle is undisciplined feasting and partying every morning. When he should be at work, what he is doing is only partying. You know? Fools indulge. They indulge in food, they indulge in alcohol, they indulge in excesses. Okay? God is asking us to enjoy life. Wise people can enjoy what God has given them, but foolish people misuse what God has given to them to enjoy. There's a time and place for Christian enjoyment, but there's also a danger of wasting our lives by living for our pleasures. The question would be, how do we spend our lives? Do we spend our lives thinking, hey, we have to enjoy life, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die? Or do we spend our lives in an unindulgent manner, living for others, enjoying life, living the life that God wants us to live, serving God and serving others? The second characteristic, a fool is incompetent. Verse 18, because of laziness, the roof caves in and because of negligent hands, the roof, uh, the house leaks. Okay? Fools are lazy. They are negligent. They should be able to do the job, but they don't. They don't. You know, it's not that they are not able to do the job, but they really don't do it. You know? 
knowing that there is a leak, they still don't do about it till water comes in and the whole thing collapses. Okay, that is what the imagery is over here. Okay, hard work and effort alone will not guarantee success. You know, but you know, a lack of effort will certainly guarantee failure. Ask yourself, what is it that you need to do this week that's not done in your life? Something, maybe you said, I have to do this week, but you have put it off. Or maybe in the morning itself, you said, I must do it today, but you put it off. You put it off, okay? Schedule it, plan it, you know, do it. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Do it with all your mind. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. Stay busy. That is what a wise person is. Thirdly, a fool is indifferent. A fool is indifferent. This is what his philosophy of life is. A feast is prepared for laughter and wine makes life happy. Money is the answer for everything. Okay. Now, this may have been a drinking song, a philosophy of life. You know, He's saying, hey, look here, you know, I just want to enjoy life. You know, His world and his life are falling apart. But he's not bothered about it. He's off partying. Okay. And he says, you know, if only I had more money, then things will all be all okay. Is that your philosophy? Is that your philosophy? The philosophy of the foolish is eat all you can, enjoy all you can, and get all you can, you know. But they're totally different, isn't it, from the wise person? It's not a question of eat all you can, enjoy all you can, and get all you can. It is directly opposite of wise person is not thinking about himself, is thinking about others. Fourthly, a fool is indiscreet. Verse 20 tells us, do not curse the king even in your thoughts, and do not curse a, <coughs> a rich person even in your bedroom. For a bird of the sky may carry the message, and a winged creature may report the matter. <coughs> Maybe this from this verse, <coughs> the phrase, a little bird told me, comes into play. Okay. The idea is that a wise person keeps confidences, whereas a foolish person spreads rumors. A fool is not careful when he criticizes. Okay. Say something stupid and before you know it, everyone knows about it. You know? And this happens in social media. Somebody has posted something and imagine how much immediately it becomes viral. And one of the riskiest things for foolish people to do with their words is to criticize people in authority, to criticize people in authority. Cursing political leaders is wrong in itself, which is something Christians who live in a democracy need to remember before, during, and after every elections. Democratically elected government, God has put them in place, don't sit around criticizing them. The scripture speaks about pray for them, pray for them. Okay. Philip Riken reminds us that cursing political leaders is wrong in itself, but in addition to being wrong, our foolish criticisms may come back to haunt us. And in his book, Politics According to the Bible, Wayne Grudem reminds his readers that the Bible teaches Christians to obey and honor the leaders of the nation in which they live. Remember, it's easy to say something. Once the words are out of our mouths, once our words are online, once something is posted, we lose control over where they go. If the wrong word reaches the ear of the wrong person, there would be serious repercussions. It is so easy to send a quick email, a quick forward, forward all, and you know, I send all, you know, and what happens? It is very difficult to undo the damage done to words that are personally insulting. You know, it would be wiser not even to think such things, let alone say them, because God knows our thoughts. So before we put it down on paper, don't think about it itself, because if it is there in your thoughts, it is going to come down on paper. It is there somehow. It's going to appear on some post, you know, on some email. Be careful of your thoughts itself. So Solomon is reminding us that a wise person doesn't say something in private that he wouldn't want someone to hear in public. Be careful of what you say in private. Zig Ziglar, this illustration would help us you know, to understand this truth. The story is told of Zig Ziglar, who was playing golf with a young associate. At the beginning of the game, he looked at the youth with amusement. 
The youth was about six foot three and weighed about two twenty pounds. He was uncomfortable as he approached the tee in an unorthodox way. He picked up his club, wiggled it a few times, laid it down, and then repeated the whole process. Zig Ziglar whispered to someone nearby, "That young man's obviously not a golfer." A moment later, the young man drove the ball about two hundred and forty yards right down the middle of the fairway. So much for Zig Ziglar's opinion about this young man. And after the young man hit the ball, he walked over to Zig Ziglar, looked him in the eye, and said, "Mr. Ziglar, I heard what you said." Now Zig wanted to crawl under the fairway. He wished he could evaporate into thin air. But the young man continued, "I heard what you said when you spoke in my hometown three years ago, and it completely changed my life. I want you to know, Mr. Dick Ziglar, that it is an honor for me to even be on the same golf course with you." <clears throat> and recounting this in his book *Top Performance*, he said he breathed a sigh of relief and made a new resolution that day to be far more careful. In uttering his comments, especially negative ones about another person, as Christians, we are called to be wise. We are called to be wise. Ephesians chapter five, verse fifteen onwards says, "Pay careful attention then how you live, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand." What the Lord's will is. This is what God is telling us this evening. Let me close with some simple tips on how to foolproof your life. Simple, practical areas. Number one, the ultimate folly is living life without God. So the first thing that we need to do is to give our lives to God. A fool has said in his heart, "There is no God." A fool lives his life as if there is no God. A wise person puts God first, so we need to give our lives to God first, and make sure that we are living in the right relationship with Him constantly. That will foolproof our lives. Secondly, the difference between wisdom and folly is how we respond to the words of Jesus. Not just hearing the words, but doing the words. Matthew's Gospel, chapter seven, speaks about the wise man and the foolish man building the house on the rock. Or on the sand, building the house on the truth, or on falsehood, hearing God's word, responding to it. Individuals who are set our house on firm foundation, responding to what God's word has said in His word. That is the truth. That is the foundation. Thirdly, commit yourself to pursuing wisdom. Commit yourself to pursuing wisdom. Where do we find wisdom? Source of wisdom is definitely. In God's word, how do we know what is wise? How do we know the mind of God? God has revealed it to us in His word. So, commit ourselves daily to fill our minds with the wisdom of God's word, because we are living in a world which has a different worldview. How do we combat that? How do we foolproof ourselves? Fill our minds with the wisdom of God's word. Fourthly, confront areas of folly that the Spirit has pointed it out to you. The Spirit of God shows us, hey, this is wrong. This is not a wise decision. This is a foolish decision. This is not a wise action. This is not a wise habit. You know, correct yourself. Correct yourself. Admit before God uh, that you are wrong in that area and find a remedy. Fifthly, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the one who is the author and the finisher of our faith. As we keep looking up to Him. Then we keep progressing in the right direction. As our hearts are fully occupied with the Lord, then we would be progressing in the right direction and making our lives productive as well. Let me close with a couple of application questions this evening. Number one: What areas of our society do you think foolishness has taken over? Education, medical, government, financial, moral, any others? And how are you going to live a sane life in the midst of this foolishness? Number two, if the results of wisdom and foolishness are universally evident, why do some people repeatedly ignore wisdom and embrace foolishness? Number three, have you ever witnessed or practiced the principle of calmness pacifying great offenses? Look at a situation in your life when the other party was angry and you are calm. 
How did that ease the tension? Number four, in what ways does wisdom bring success? In what areas of your life have you experienced the benefits of wise actions? Number five, how can we discern between wise and foolish advice? Have you ever mistaken foolishness for wisdom? And number six, do you find it difficult to refrain from speaking out against authorities who are either foolish or incompetent? And how and when is it okay to criticize an authority? Let's bow our heads in prayer together.